So, hello, everybody. If you've got a Bible, you might want to start uh, turning to the book of Jonah. Jonah is quite, actually quite a hard book to find. Um, but because I'm compassionate, just like Jonah, I'll help you out. It's right there in the middle of Obadiah and Micah. Hope that's helpful. It's good to have visitors here this morning. Um, so Simon, uh, Simon said last week we've just embarked on a new sermon series, um, Jonah, From Running to Revival. This is an amazing book which we feel as elders has a lot to say to us as a church. But also if you're a visitor here this morning, or maybe you don't consider yourself particularly as a churchgoer or, or a Christian, the book of Jonah speaks to the heart of everybody. It's one of those books that is culturally and uh, is culturally relevant to everyone. It's not a kid's book. It's not primarily about a whale. I think Simon made that very clear last week. As the great Westminster Chapel preacher down in London, Campbell Morgan, said uh, years ago, too many people have concentrated on the great fish rather than casting their eye on the great God. Yeah? That's the point of this story. It's, it's parable-like. A parable is actually a fake story. This is a true story. It's parable-like. It grips our attention. And although, although the story is not a legend, legends don't have real fathers. He was the son of Amittai. Legends don't have real addresses. Uh, he was from Gath Hefer, the Bible tells us. Jesus spoke of him as a real man with a real story. Some of our Iranian, Kurdish, Afghani brothers and sisters will remember. He's mentioned actually in Islam by the prophet Muhammad as a real man. He existed. Although it's not a legend, although Jonah's not a legend, this true story has a bigger message. It's about you. It's about me. That's the point. Now, unfortunately, I felt Simon in his introduction uh, um, of the big themes uh, of Jonah last week left a few gaps out. It's okay, we've talked about it as an eldership team. We've also agreed as an eldership team to keep them on the preaching rotor. So that's okay. But because of these gaps, I felt a real need to start this morning by showing you this short film made by tremendously gifted technicians and big, big philosophy theological scholars. I hope you find it helpful. Simon, I hope you find it helpful. I hope you're taking notes. Run the reel, Haley. When I was a boy. Hope you enjoyed that. So there you've got, probably just undone everything I've said so far, but never mind. It isn't a kid's story, Jonah, it's a big, deep story. Um, listen, Jonah was a prophet, but he didn't really get it. That's the point. That's the question I feel God wants to ask us, ourselves, as we go through this book, line by line, event by event, blunder by a blunt, blunder. Do we get it? Do we? This sermon series is, if you like, like a furnace, that impure metal, me and you are being pushed through and all the dross is going gonna, is gonna to be burnt off, leaving just pure gold, pure silver. Jubilee, are you up for that over the next few months? At times it's going to be painful, it really is. Jonah speaks to the heart. Jonah was a prophet, but he didn't really get it. That's not the story that God wants to play out in you and me. So let's read the start of Jonah. So, Jonah 1. 
1 to 3. Jonah 1, 1 to 3. The word of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it. For their love, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went uh, down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That's all we're going to be talking about this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Thank you, Lord, uh, uh, for the, for the, for the uh, um, contributions this morning, for, for you know, people declaring how God moves powerfully in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for that picture of the dandelion. Thank you, Lord, that you know us so intimately. Thank you, Lord, that you have real purpose for us. But in calling us to purpose, you are also shaping each and every one of us into the masterpiece that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So three things, if you like, that I felt God put in my heart this morning through these first few lines. Um, So firstly, it starts with, doesn't it? It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jubilee, God speaks. He's speaking today. Clearly, as we've heard from people and contributions this morning, through the worship even. and, And really, that's pretty phenomenal. In fact, what struck me most when I started studying for this right at the start of this book, it's saying, right at the start of this book, this book is saying that God is a God of grace upon grace, right from the very beginning. Where did I get that from? Well, the first word of this book, which isn't translated for us, um, is actually the word and. It's not there because we don't start books like that. In the Hebrew Bible, though, it says, it reads, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Fascinating. Don't look fascinated. That word, and, is basically saying we are picking up a story that is already partway through. Simon touched on it last week in 2 Kings 4, 14, 25. We've met met this Jonah guy already in the Bible. He was serving the evil Jeroboam II. We see Jonah sanctioning through his prophetic utterances the evil the evil of Jeroboam II as he wages war against the Syrians and brings Israel into the worship of idols, greed, and self-indulgence. And through all this, Jonah now is a national hero. That's where we've got to in the story. He's got comfortable. He's become a professional prophet. There is something fishy about this guy already. See what I did there? Yet God... In his lavish mercy, God in his avalanche of grace upon grace still comes to Jonah, even after all that, with words of life, salvation, and purpose. In the book's first three letters, we've already met this God of grace. It's beautiful. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He was a prophet. A prophet is someone who essentially... Hears from God, bringing his direction and exhortation, his comfort, his strengthening. Prophets often brought God's solutions to the people in the midst of hurdles. Prophets brought a momentum and a motivation to God's advancing kingdom. 
In Jonah's time, that was for a few, but, the, but this side of Jesus, as Peter blasted out on the day of Pentecost, we all now hear God, not just special anointed ones. Later this, uh, later this year, we're going to be running a series of equip sessions precisely um, addressing this. Prophets and the prophetic are so important in the church today. We need to get this. Our God is a speaking God. Right from the third verse of Genesis to the second to last verse of Revelation, God is the speaking one. Speech has been part of his character, this character of God throughout history. His voice is of new beginnings. We see that throughout the Bible. In the creation story, Moses has put together these Genesis verses to get across that all God has to do was to speak and stuff happened. This was in total contrast. It was written in a culture. This was in total contrast to creation myths of other cultures at the time. They had to battle. They had to argue. They had to jostle. It was hard for them. But not so with Yahweh. He is deliberately set apart from the other pagan squabblers and fighters. Just his words were enough. He does the same in new creation, doesn't he? Bringing dead people to life. You and me, through the Spirit of God, born again, totally new, just through speaking. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He says in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one who they have not heard? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message of God. The message is heard through the word of God. God speaks with a voice of sovereignty, not just new creation. He doesn't just bring about new creation. He's the king of kings. He's sovereign. He's the Lord of lords. He's seated on high. What he says will come to be. Psalm 29 bursts this out. Um, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks out. The cedars, the voice of the Lord strikes <clears throat> with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Through the power of, uh, through the power of His voice, He brings about every event and sustains all things. That's our God. His voice is also the voice of authority. This is what the crowds noticed about Jesus often, most. That's, what they want, that's why they wanted to kill him. When In Matthew 7, 28, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Jesus astonished people in that he spoke on his own Authority, not someone else's like Muhammad, Buddha, Ram, Krishna, Confucius, or Moses. He was different. When he spoke things, things happened. Not one of Jesus' miracles, when you look through the Bible, came in response to prayer. That doesn't mean we don't pray. 
In fact, almost all of them resulted from his speaking to the sickness, the demon, or the corpse. Jesus speaks. This is comforting. God brings forth the new. God is sovereign. God has authority. He cannot be challenged. And you know what? Still today, he brings healing and salvation and prophetic revelation to his church. This church, this is exciting. This is exciting because Jesus says now, Jesus says now, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things because I've gone to the Father. That's exciting. But it's also sobering. Why? Because failing to respond to his voice, whether that's by rejecting the gospel, whether that's by um, disobeying what the Bible says pleases God or despising prophecy, has scary consequences. Jonah found that out. You see, here the word of God came... You see, here the word of God came to... Um, Jonah, go to Nineveh, but he did the exact opposite. In fact, he found a in fact he found a boat going all the way to Tarshish. I wonder whether he thought, now blow me down, look what I've found. A boat going as far as possible from where God's voice has been speaking from. It's a sign. God wouldn't have put that boat there if he didn't want me to get on it. Thank you, Lord. Terry Virgo said something in one of his talks about this that has resonated with me all week. Frighteningly, really. He said, don't you know the devil has a whole fleet of ships waiting to take you to Tarshish? Ouch. That's scary. Don't be fooled by the enemy. Watch out. Stick close in community. Hear what your brothers and sisters are telling you. Jonah was a prophet. The word of God came to him. Yet he got on one of these boats to Tarshish. So he found a ship which was going to Tarshish. That's what the next bit says. Paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That was his purpose. That to me is another fascinating statement. The presence of the Lord. He's not just a speaking God. But he's a God who is there, is present. You see, we were, you see, we were talking about this at our community group the other night. Why did Jonah go so far as he went right all the way to Tarshish? That was actually the very end of the known world as they knew it. It was almost certainly because of their idea was, of God was very localized. They put God in a box. He dwelt in the tabernacle. Later, he dwelt in the temple. Jonah was running from the presence of God by running as far away as he possibly could from Jerusalem. This is how the Jewish people would have thought. That's one of the reasons why God actually sends them the prophet Ezekiel to shock them. He starts with a revelation of God, if you read the book, not in the temple, but by the Babylonian canal. That would have sounded very strange to these Jews in exile. Babylonian was where they were. Later on in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, he has this shocking vision of the glory of Yahweh leaving the temple altogether and staying by the east gate facing Babylon. Wow! Ezekiel is declaring that God is not bound by geographic location or a box or a building, but rather... 
He is wherever they are. And the point God reveals, and at that point God reveals to Ezekiel his new name, Yahweh Shammah, God is there. They could worship him and come to him anywhere and everywhere. In fact, the Hebrew word used in Jonah for God's presence has connotations of being face to face, in front of the face of. We worship Jubilee, a face to face God. As the Apostle Paul puts it, we have been brought into the place where now all of us, with our faces unveiled, like a bride at a wedding, with our faces unveiled, reflect the glory of the Lord as we are mirrors. And so we are being transformed or metamorphosed like a caterpillar into a butterfly into the same image from one radiance of glory to another, just as the Spirit of God makes it happen. Jubilee, God isn't in a box anymore. I like these guys, how they were sensitive to the Spirit and they said, shall we, shall we go with this now? Let's go with this now. Let's pray for the Spirit of God to come upon us. Jubilee, God isn't in a box anymore. We can laugh at the tabernacle, the tent and the temple and think, oh, what a load of numpties. But we all have our own versions of that, don't we? God isn't in a building anymore. God can't be restricted or restrained by us in any way. God has broken out. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you and me. He's at sparklers when you're there, Jane or uh, Shirley. He's, he's, he's at Wilton. We heard, well, actually, he told me another story the other day. He's at Wilton when Dennis is there. He's on building sites where you're there, Jabba. He's on our Facebook and our tweets as we type away. He's in schools across Teesside and universities and colleges and streets and job centres. God is not in a box. People don't primarily come to him. Rather, he comes to them through you and me. That's the church of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Bill Johnson, a church leader from, Beth, from Bethel, writes, we encounter his divine presence. Transform- when we encounter his divine presence, transformation occurs that goes beyond the reach of merely good ideas. This is transformation that takes place first within us that we might cause transform- transformation around us. Listen. God is doing amazing things in his church across Teesside. We are all part of transforming Teesside together as we serve Teesside on those dates. Church is growing in unity and friendship and purpose. God is there. Churches across Teesside are meeting monthly uh, on Friday nights to pray for, to pray for city revival. Dennis, Kiri and Anne and I were there just last Friday. Churches in June and July, as we've just heard, are gathering across Stockton and Middlesbrough, engaging in community projects that the council have asked us to help in serving Teesside. Churches on the 9th of June, Pentecost Sunday, will be gathering to worship as Jesus' united church and being inspired about how the church can be released into the marketplace for God's glory and city transformation. God is there. 
church leaders gather weekly to prayer and receive direction and encouragement from Jesus. In 2020, there'll be something called a Movement Day Teesside, gathering a few thousand people. Uh, us, across Teesside, in the town hall, both church members and secular leaders and influencers, starting a conversation about what unity could look like as we come together and serve this city long term for the next 20 years. Together in all our differences and diversity and styles and emphases, we are one people of God in whom he chooses to dwell. But Jonah decided to run away from his face-to-face presence with God. That's, that breaks our heart, doesn't it? Finally, on the run. You see, although Jonah seems to be more known for his fish encounters, God is showcasing him to the world, to you and me, as the man who said no to God. I'd rather not be in the Bible if that was the point of my Bible story. And he's deliberately, a pro- and he's deliberately, if you see it, he's deliberately a prophet, isn't he? He's not on the margins of church. He's right there in the center. He's the spiritual guy, the ones who people would have come to. He'd be all doing, you know, the bells and the outfits and the garments and the pomegranates and whatever. People would, and the sacrifices, he would have been right there in the center. He was a spiritual guy, not on the edges, and God today is pleading to his church to stop running from his call to shape the world with his joy news. God is calling you and me. What are you running away from? Many of you aren't. But some of us are. Or there's certain parts of our lives that show that. What are you running for? Phrase it differently. What's your Nineveh? This is a heart question. It's subtle. We might superficially look at Jonah and say, I can't believe he did, he did, uh, I can't believe he did what, he didn't do what God asked him to, but I think we need to give him a break. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have liked the Assyrians either. Nobody did. What's your Nineveh? What do you naturally run away from? I'm going to give you a few examples. Maybe it's the marginalized, what the world calls the unlovelies of this world. People who are socially or ethnically different to you. Maybe some new people. Your head says yes, but your actions speak differently. God says, invite them round. Help them out. Make them feel welcome. Take them under your wing even. Get to know them. Let them change your heart and thinking and actions. God's put them there, not just for them, but for you too. Let them enrich you and your family's life. Listen, let them bring God to you in a new and profound way. He does that. What's your Nineveh? Maybe your Nineveh is change or even growth. Once again, our head says yes, but the doing looks a bit different. Growth might mean multiplying your groups and a change of meeting times and friendships and relationships. Might do. It might mean pastoral support looking different to the way it was. God might ask you to contribute in a stretching way. 
Listen, change and growth can be unsettling. I totally get that. But listen, let's all do everything we can to make it happen. We're not going to be Jonas and run away from what God's doing. Most of you don't. Maybe it's giving. This is a generous church. I love this church. It always has been. It's part of our DNA. But listen, God might be stretching you further as we come into the new financial year. I want to encourage you to allow God to break into your heart and soul. I know it's a big ask. It's a big ask. But let me tell you, through our grace and joy-filled generosity, hear this, through our grace and joy-filled generosity, God changes our heart more and more. He ups our faith and brings adventure into our spirits. That was one of God's earliest lessons to me as I came out of um, university. What's your Nineveh? Maybe you've been coming along, or even maybe it's your first time and you've sensed the presence of God here this morning. You felt some sort of connection. Maybe your partner's a Christian or, you, or you're seeing something different, but the walls are up. You've reacted by jumping far away as possible in your heart, even though you're here right now. But do you know what? God is pursuing you. Not like those traffic cops on TV with a blue light and frenzied kind of, but gently lovingly, provokingly challenging you. He's wooing you, this God. He's calling you. Zephaniah 3 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, this morning God says, Stop running if that's you. What's your Nineveh? It might mean staying rather than going. God's really spoken to me about this just recently. Some of you are going through asylum cases and we've heard some brilliant news here. So this isn't pressure. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Some of you are going through asylum cases and if you're successful, you might think, right, I'm going to move on. It might be that you've come here from university to study temporarily maybe. Maybe you're, maybe, maybe, but, but, but after that, you're thinking of moving on. Maybe your community is over there. Maybe your family or friends are elsewhere. Maybe there's a church in your language somewhere else. But I believe God wants many of you to consider staying. That might be more difficult. That might be more costly. Jubilee, we need to help our brothers and sisters. But God is building his kingdom here on Teesside of many tribes, of many tongues and languages and cultures and age groups. That doesn't happen by people going away primarily. Maybe God wants you to sacrifice your smaller plans for his bigger plans. What's your Nineveh? Maybe it's bringing your faith into the marketplace with a greater boldness and confidence and clarity at work in your street or at the school gate um, or at school or university like we heard from Dennis just there. On Friday, one of my patients uh, came to me about his depression, his prostate, his moles and then his son's suicidal thoughts. And at the end he said, one more thing, doctor. You're from church, aren't you? 
Will you pray and advise me about what he thought was a generational Masonic curse over his family? This guy wasn't a nutter. Just a normal day in general practice, I thought. We only have 10 minutes. We prayed, we talked. We're going to pray again. Do you believe God is calling us not to run away from our Ninevehs, but rather to run into the arms of the glory of God? You know what? Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done, Lord. He didn't get on the boat. Rather, he crawled up in agony and shame all the way to Golgotha. He was beaten, he was abused, he was ridiculed, he was rejected. Eventually, Jesus was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the very people forsaking him, denying him and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in the universe, he stayed. For you, for me. Jesus has taken all our sinfulness all are running away from God, not putting God at the very heart of everything we are and do and say and think. All of our rebellion and disregard for him, all of our disobedience, all our dis dishonoring, the things that put a huge wall between us and our Father in heaven. Jesus has taken the rightful punishment. This is the gospel for that on the cross so that we don't have to. He swapped it, he, and he swapped it for righteousness, love, acceptance, hope, and joy. What a gospel. What a gospel. What a life changer. Stop running. Get off the boat. Be transformed by Jesus, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, whether you're not even a Christian at all. 1 Peter 2.9 says to the church, Jubilee, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're not going to have a song to finish. I'm just going to pray. And actually, I'm just going to leave a few moments of silence, if that's okay. Jonah was a runner. And God has put Jonah before us as the man who says no, said no to God. And these are very personal things I know. I've spoken about bigger church things, but there's personal things I know. There's areas of our life where we're running away from God. And I just feel I want to pray over you. I want to allow God the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then we're going to call it a day. Is that okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I thank you that you're in our midst. I thank you that for that heaviness that Shirley spoke of. Not a oppressing heaviness, but a life-changing heaviness. I pray, Lord God, that you will come upon us. I pray, Lord God, that you will speak of the things that we are running from. Maybe for years and years and years. It might be forgiveness. It might be stepping out. It might be a call to stay. It might be to resolve an area of conflict. It might be in our marriage. It might be in our parenting. 
It might be what we watch in the silence of our rooms. Spirit of God, I pray that you will touch our heart this morning. I pray that you will bring freedom. Who the Son sets free, he is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Thank you for that truth, Lord God. Thank you for that truth, Lord God. I just want you to just kind of have your moment with God now.